Hi, I'm CJ Mitica, Executive Editor of Counselor Magazine, and today I'm joined by our keynote speaker for the ASI Show Dallas, J.R. Martinez. J.R. is an actor, best-selling author, motivational speaker, advocate, and wounded U.S. Army veteran. He was injured by a roadside bomb in Iraq that caused severe burns to 34% of his body. After years of recovery, he began speaking to other patients and has become a highly regarded motivational speaker. In his aspiring keynote at the Dallas Show, JR will share his life story and what he discovered he was capable of achieving when faced with, with tough and unexpected challenges. JR, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me, CJ. It's a pleasure to be here, man. No, thank you. So my, my first question uh, is looking back at before and after that incident in Iraq, what was the biggest change in the way that you lived your life and how you viewed the world? Um, you know, I think one of the biggest things is that I, I didn't necessarily walk around as a young man judging people. Um, I didn't look at people and, and, and assume that, oh, they haven't been through anything or anything of that nature. But um, I think one of the biggest things that I learned um, after my injuries, how um, how common a lot of the things that all of us are facing, you know, they're, they're, that we all in a lot of ways are facing adversity or facing challenges, um, either currently or have, and they're all to some extent pretty similar. The same type of adversity that we're all facing is kind of the same thing. And it just realizing how connected all of us really are in a lot of ways and how we have a tendency at times to, you know, look at somebody from a distance without even knowing that individual and essentially judging them and assuming that that individual is either less than us or, you know, hasn't experienced as much as us. But yet in reality, that individual is probably going through the same exact thing that you're either going through at that moment or you had gone through before or that maybe you're going to go through in the future. Um, so that's really opened up my eyes, you know, ever since my injury, because I started to realize that my injury and my experience of being injured in Iraq wasn't just limited, me speaking wasn't just limited to just veterans and service members. I could actually speak to anybody about adversity, about overcoming adversity, and that was a universal message. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you learned to, obviously, about that while you were recovering. You spent 34 months in the Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, recovering from your injuries. So during that time, how were you able to stay so positive? Well, listen, it was a roller coaster. It definitely was a roller coaster. People have a tendency to just kind of focus on the fact that, you know, uh, like I woke up out of my coma and, and I saw my face and my body and I went off to be this positive kid and it wasn't that. I mean, there was definitely a lot of, um, a lot of downs, a lot of moments of where, um, you know, I questioned uh, and not so much ever was suicidal and, and, and thought of taking my life, which is obviously a big issue within the veteran space right now with 22 veterans committing suicide every day, but um, I definitely got to a place where I would get down on myself quite a bit. I would question, you know, why this happened to me. And, you know, for me, there would be something that would happen. So, for example, one of the first things that happened um, is, is after I was uh, in the hospital, I was at, allowed to go home to my hometown of Georgia for a quick 30-day trip, you know, just to kind of get home and and that's the best medicine in a lot of ways and so i went back home and and yet i was in this kind of this questionable place and you know wondering how society is going to accept these scars of mine um and needless to say like the community just through this huge parade this huge welcoming um and throughout the 30 days that i was there it was such a great experience of people just an outpour of love and support that when i w had to go back to san antonio to continue my care I essentially was riding that wave of, uh, of a great experience that I, I experienced in Georgia. And then when, I, when it started to kind of slowly thin out and I started to die, then all of a sudden I was asked by a nurse to visit another patient who had just arrived 
and was starting this this road to recovery. And you know, and I realized the effect that I, the positive effect I was able to have on his outlook and his life. And then that kind of like picked me back up, and I was able to ride that wave. So there was a lot of different things that would happen that would just kind of give me enough just to hold on to. It's almost like, you know, you just put enough fuel in your gas tank just to get you to the next gas station, the next town, and then you're going to refuel there. And you got to count on that. you got to believe that something is going to come in life that is going to fuel you to get to your next destination and to your next stop. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that time when the, you know, the nurse asked you to speak with another burn patient is really your first time speaking with you know some someone else probably suffering some of the same things and well what you know what do you recall about that particular conversation you know specifically how you were able to help him and what it did for yourself you know it was so simple and that's the thing is that we have a tendency uh, we we i think we overthink a lot of things and how we can help other people you know naturally when people think of oh i'm going to help somebody else especially when it comes to philanthropy a lot of people think monetary like that's what it has to be i have to be able to write a check for five thousand dollars fifty of five million dollars and it's not the case it's you know a lot of times just kind of sharing an experience a lot of times just listening listening does such wonders and so for me going into that young man's room i didn't have the right words to say matter of fact i was actually against going into his room and talking to him because i felt i'm not a you know, I don't. I'm not a. I don't have a degree in psychology. I'm not certified. What am I really going to say to help this individual? And yet, going in and just not only listening to him and his frustrations of what he was going through, but then obviously being able to relate and and explain to him how things have gotten better for me, you know, helped him like actually look at me in a different light and say, okay, man, this guy, okay, cool, this guy's doing it. Maybe I can do it too. And so um, it, that that's literally what it came down to is just realizing like, wow. I needed to listen, and then me in that particular situation, I was able to relate and just obviously share my experience. But at first, I did not want to do it. But once I came out of that room, like all of a sudden, it was I had a completely different mentality, and that was my new purpose in life. That was my new um, uh, way of serving because after being injured, I was told I would no longer be in the military and I would no longer go overseas, which obviously was a dagger to me. And so this gave me purpose again. This gave me a reason to live every single day and to and, and to know that I was a part of something bigger than myself. I was going to help these individuals. Mm-hmm. You, you brought up an interesting thing about listening that I wanted to follow up about because in our world of business and sales, listening is such a key thing because a lot of salespeople want to just talk, talk, talk and not listen to other clients' problems. So right. from from your from your angle, you know, you have a story, you have a story to tell. So how difficult was it? Is it for you to just? to listen, hear, hear other people's troubles when you yourself had been through so much? You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that difficult at all because, um, you know, especially, you know, you get to a point where people are asking you to talk so much that, you know, whenever you get actually a moment to stop talking and right. actually just sit there and listen, you're like, oh, my God, this is great. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it, was, it was nice, and it was somewhat – it was easy because – while they were speaking about whatever issues that they were encountering at that moment, I was able to like sit there and listen and just kind of nod my head like, I get it, like I get it. 
And I didn't have to say I got it. I just had to nod my head and just, you know, kind of one of those kind of like where when you when you eat something, you taste something, and you close your eyes and you nod your head and like, oh, this is good. And that's kind of what I did. I just sat there in the room and I just kind of closed my eyes. I just kind of nodded my head. I just listened to them. I just validated everything that they felt and everything that they said. And then at the very end, I would kind of come in and just say, listen, you know what? That's the way I felt. That's the way I – and a lot of it – and, and what I started to realize is once I started to get into this whole speaking aspect is the first time I actually spoke at an event um, publicly in front of a crowd. It was a luncheon, actually. And um, I remember it, a lot of the, the crowd consisted of individuals that never served in the military. So I was kind of afraid, thinking, like, well, my audience is military. That's what I thought. Like, that's what I'm limited to, right? That's what a lot of people have told me. Mm-hmm. Well, after I got off the stage, I mean, people were coming up to me sharing experiences about, you know, domestic violence, you know, abuse, uh, people that were sharing, you know, people that were like alcoholics, you know, people that had sustained some sort of trauma, experienced some sort of trauma in their life, and yet they were coming up to me and, and expressing. And all I was doing is I was listening to them, and, you know, and I think it's something that's one of the – uh, there's a quote, and I forget exactly what it says. There's a reason why you have, you know, two ears and one mouth. You know, it's like stop talking so much, and you learn a lot more if you just you spend a little bit more time listening versus talking so much. And I think, you know, that's one of the key things is that people feel like, you know, it's like even now, even now, uh, it's one of the things I have to learn about myself in any relationship that I have is that I have a tendency that sometimes as as, as much as I listen and as, as as much as I like to really make an effort to really listen, I have a tendency at times to, when someone comes and tells me a problem, I have a tendency to quickly, like, kind of, okay, shut it off. We know the problem. Let's go and let, let me talk. Let's go into the, the creative solution. Mm-hmm. And I have to be better about realizing, wait a minute, sometimes it's not my job to essentially kind of come up with a solution on the spot. These people are coming to me just simply because they want to vent. They just want to vent. Now, if it comes to a point where, like, okay, this is the 10th time, this is the 20th time where we're talking about it, now it's a different story. Now it's like, okay, listen, guys, you know, let's stop talking about this, you know. But for the first few times, you know, that's part of the grieving process for any individual overcoming any adversity, going through any sort of trauma, is that they need to be able to vent. They've got to be able to get it out. You know, that's part of the healing process of anything you go through in life. Mm-hmm. So now you've been you know, a motivational speaker for – a number of years, obviously, talk to a, a lot of people. And all these years speaking, what what are the things that you have learned about people? Uh, honestly, is that, um, you know, no matter what level of success, no matter what kind of uh, things that you drive, you know, what, what kind of things that you have, nice things or, or not less than, lesser than nice things, we're all the same. and We're all very vulnerable. I mean, we're all very fragile. We're all very vulnerable, and 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 how we all are going through the same exact things. I mean, that's what did this. I look at people that I've been standing next to that I used to look at as a kid and be like, oh my God, this individual. Like I idolized that individual. You know, mostly it was it was athletes, maybe, and you know, someone that played sports growing up. And I would kind of semi get to know these individuals, and I would say, oh my God, like. There, as as there's more going on in their lives, like as far as like you know, just drama, you know, and things that they got to figure out, and you know, wow, you would think that from a distance you think they got it all figured out, or oh my God, like they're going through the same exact thing that I'm going through, and I make significantly less than them, and it's just it's just interesting to kind of see how there's just so many parallels between all of us, and I think that if we all spent more time kind of understanding that then we would be able to really like look at each other and listen to one another and ultimately be able to understand each other a little bit, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. That that vulnerability that you, that you say that everybody has, everybody has their challenges. So, you know, where do they find the strength to overcome those challenges when they haven't had 
like you, like you did this near death experience, this major injury that totally shift, shifted your worldview. Well, you know, one, I always tell people, is like, you know, surround yourself around and, you know, put yourself in an environment, you know, um, just, just, just humble yourself. I mean, you know, I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day and, you know, we were talking about how, you know, we do well for ourselves, you know, we, we, we're making a good living, you know, um, you know, and what we do and, you know, we're doing well. But then we talked about how we have moments throughout our days where we stop and we think about like, wow, you know, um, there's a lot of people that ultimately are, are, are make significantly less. There's people that are going through a lot more issues. I mean, I live in New York City, and I was on a train yesterday. And how many people come up to me, you know come up to people on the train and say, "Hey, I need help." And you just you know you just think about those things. And you just there's a moment where you just have to be grateful and understand that literally this is all whatever you have can literally be taken away from you from it in an instant. I mean, I I I literally one second was driving a Humvee laughing even though I was in war, but we were making the most of the situation. And the next second, literally, I was like screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs because my life is ultimately being questioned. And so I always tell people like, listen, don't get too caught up in whatever success that you're having. Like, I mean, it's great to enjoy. That's absolutely you're entitled to that you've worked hard for that but find ways to ultimately surround yourself with, with situations and individuals that are can help can keep you humbled that can humble you because that's what we all need we need ultimately to be reminded that at the end of the day we're very fragile and this all can be taken away from us mm-hmm. what about you know you yourself it's been now a number of years since since, you know, since your injury but are there ever times that you ever get get down or, or question why your life has gone down this path Oh, for sure. I mean, listen, I'm hum- I'm a human being. You know, you you poke me with something, and I'm going to believe the same way that you know you would believe. And so, you know, I have a tendency. I mean, I you know, recently, I mean, I'm I'm kind of in this really, you know, really scary. You know, for a lot of people, it's scary. And don't get me wrong, for me, it's a little scary. But considering I had already been through, you know, enough, and a lot of dealt with a lot of change, and I've always had to adapt. And I'm so I've I've, I've kind of seen examples of how changes worked out for me as long as I stay st- true to myself, and as long as I stay. Strong strong and as long as I you know can continue to go with you know with my head up and kind of looking at opportunities and looking how I need to continue to grow and, and learn um, but I'm in this really cool place right now where I in the last few months have kind of been down on myself things weren't working out like you know as, as much as I would have liked them you know entertainment wise you know from mm-hmm. a speaking perspective you know you're not, you're not as busy and you want to be a little bit more busier and so I decided you know what okay cool you know what that's great that's cool it is what it is right now. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to sit here and stress out about it so much to the point where it takes over my ability to be creative and, and, and my ability to be able to adapt and think on my feet. So what am I doing now? At least I'm not going through the process right now that hopefully I'm actually going to start college next month. And so, you know, if I get all the paperwork in and as long as I get accepted, um, I'll start college next month. And it's like, okay, you know what, I'm going to completely change my path. I'm going to do something completely different that no one would expect me to do, and yet I'm going to do that because, you know what, I feel like this is the change that I need in my life. And so, you know, I, I just I do have a lot of down moments, you know, but once I started thinking about school, once I started thinking about, okay, I'm going to take control of a situation and not, not leave it in the hands of anybody else, it made me feel more empowered. It made me feel more positive. It made me feel more excited about my future. And so that's what it's about. It's about not just sitting here and saying, oh, well, I'm the victim. I'm the victim. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. No, take control. Take control. Whatever control you can have, whether it's 10 or 15%, whether it's even 5% out of 100, take control of whatever it is that's within your grasp, and then you'll slowly start to see that that percentage will slowly start to increase. That's great about college. Are you, are you excited or are you a little nervous? 
I'm both. I'm excited. I'm a 32. I'm going to be a 32 year old freshman. You know, it's it's it's. I you know, I'm excited because I I you know, it's college. I tell my friends, I'm like, man, I'm going to go out for the full college experience. I'm going to like try out for every sport, even though I'm 32. And they technically, like in sports wise, I'm too old now. Right. You know, I'm going to join a frat. I'm going to do all the cool things. You know, I, obviously they're going to kick me out of all of these. They're going to tell me I'm, I'm way not cool enough and too old. But I'm going to try, man. So I'm excited, but I'm. I am a little nervous. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's you know this when you're used to doing a one particular thing for so many years, um, you know, and then all of a sudden you just kind of completely switch gears. It is a little intimidating. It is a little scary, but I know that it's all going to pay off at the very end. Cool. That's great. So my last question: What is the the best way for everyday people to support our veterans? Well, great question. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, listen, there's over 47,000 nonprofits that exist, um, you know, uh, that, that, that have the word veteran or military in their uh, mission statement or set out to help veterans. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, unfortunately, not all of them actually do great things. Not all of them utilize the money the right way. Not all of them have programs. Even though they use the money the right way, their programs aren't programs that are really going to create a long-term solution with veterans. You know, listen, taking a veteran and their family to, you know, a vacation or to um, a baseball game, football game, a concert, those things are great. But those things, at the end of the day, when they go back home, there's still the issues there. And so what I always tell people is, like, first and foremost, really look at a nonprofit that is spending the money the right way. Okay. Two, I, I tell people to look at a nonprofit that is focusing on, in my opinion, these are the five important you know, tiers to the, the issues that we face within the veteran space. Employment, education, health care. Um, what, what are the other ones I'm thinking about right now? Uh, education, employment, health care. Um, you have the VA, the backlog, mm-hmm. which a lot of people have a tendency to see what's happening with the VA, and they say, well, well there's nothing I can do about that because that's all the government. No. What we want is we want people to ultimately get involved. We want people to write their congressmen, write their senators, because less than 1% of our nation's population serve in our military. And so if we can, you know, so you think about that. That's less than 1% that is trying to speak up against Congress and against the government to say this is not right. Well, our voices aren't really being heard because they're not as strong. We don't have the masses. So we want people to ultimately say, no, we got your back. So I'm going to team up with a nonprofit that's going to help give them a voice. I'm going to write my congressman, write my senator. And even though I never served, even though I may not agree with the conflicts overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan, at the end of the day, I support our men and women and their families and the sacrifices that they make and that they're willing to make. And so I'm going to get behind them and push that movement. So I would just tell people to really kind of do their homework. Really, I have a few nonprofits that are listed on my website, which is jrmartinez.com, that I support, that I believe are creating a long-term solution and are ultimately helping individuals with you know, PTSD, helping individuals with getting their benefits, helping individuals with getting housing, helping individuals with getting employment, um, and obviously, obviously helping with speaking up about the VA and holding the VA accountable. And so just help us, help us be a stronger and a louder voice. That's what we need. We need all of your listeners to come and say, we got your back, you know, veterans and family members. We have your back and literally have our back. It don't have to necessarily give, you know, money. You just give us your time and give us your energy and then help us spread the word on social media. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Instagram. I'm constantly posting stuff about veterans. Help spread those messages out to the masses, to your followers, because I may not be able to reach them all. 
Okay. Well, uh, thank you for that advice, and there's some great insights. And for everyone who's listening, JR will be our keynote speaker at our ASI Show Dallas in February. You get you can see him in person and have and hear, hear some more more great information, and you can hear J, JR's story. So thank you very much, JR, for speaking with cool. us today. Hey, thank you, man. Thanks for ha having me, man. Sure, sure thing. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the ASI podcast.